this is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 5th of July 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave, and here is my co-host, Jon. Hey, Jon. Hi, Dave. How are you? I am very good. And yourself? I'm good. Can't believe it's two weeks ago that they did the last podcast. Indeed. Time flies when you are enjoying big data. <laughs> I noticed some hesitation there. Let's go. Let's not go into that. <laughs> so, what's your last two weeks been like? Um, it's been pretty hectic. Uh, uh, the company I work for, we actually have a broken fiscal year. So, last week was the end of the fiscal year. And as you can imagine, that has a lot of uh, rushing going on there. But apart from all the salesy stuff, I did have some fun uh, helping a customer. Well, helping still in progress, but they want to uh, lift, shift, lift and shift, as they say, a completely complex uh, application which runs on-premise across a number of servers and want to move into a, a cloud environment. Now, it has got a big data component in there as well, so that's why I'm uh, actually involved there. But they're running into a lot of problems, not with the big data that's going Beachy fine, no, no problem there, but with their uh, network infrastructure, actually. Because most on-premise situations have things like firewalls and centralized uh, deep packet inspection things going on. And the only way to move that into a cloud is doing it on the IaaS, which is not the ideal way of doing it. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. But again, the good thing, big data stuff, no problem at all. <laughs> Excellent. So they're, they're looking at how they can like, segregate some of their different services between each other on a combination SaaS IaaS platform? Or? Uh, no, that's a problem. Actually, they have a kind of security island in the front of all of their applications. So they have one security conduit that then everything goes into that conduit and then gets spread around to different applications. And they've got a hardware appliance that does it at the moment. But uh, yeah, you can't put hardware in the cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they've got like hardware DMZ sort of thing. Uh, not even DMZ, but it's just a whole, I would say mess, but it's not a mess, because on-premise it makes total sense. Uh, they're using VPNs and uh, tunnels and stuff. It's just that if you go into a cloud, you're better off going to a to a SaaS or a PaaS uh, situation, because that's where cloud actually works well. Yeah. Because of what they have in the network uh, situation, they have to go to IaaS. Uh, they are thinking in uh, as a, this is a first step, and then once this is running, then move slowly into a SaaS pass situation. But uh, it's uh, going to be a step by step approach, and it has some challenges. Yeah, yeah. Organizations don't like change, and and uh, shepherding them through those kind of modifications usually requires some kind of fairly significant culture shift. Yeah, well, it's not only the the, the, the company; it's also the IT people who have been trained by the company that nothing can ever fail, and of course, change always. Brings with it a little bit of insecurity, you know, things that are different, which you don't know how they work. You haven't got yeah. a feel for it yet. So, well, it's it's a process. Indeed, absolutely. Uh, another customer, we're actually looking on doing a disaster recovery solution across on-premises situation, databases, and a cloud, mm-hmm. which, uh, well... In theory, it works fine, but there's always these little things. Do you go synchronous or asynchronous? Synchronous sounds good, but that means that everything slows down to a crawl. So it's a bit of uh, weighing what the pros and cons are. That's at, at the beginning of the uh, project there, so we'll see how that evolves. And of course, with the massive amounts of data that, that you're talking about, it's not as easy as just putting up a second MySQL database somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. 
apart from that, uh, I'm also started a couple of courses on edx.org. edx.org is one of those uh, MOOC situations on the internet. The ones also well known as Coursera. For several reasons, I prefer EDX, but uh, each his own. And the thing I want to mention here is that uh, University of Berkeley, uh, under the acronym Berkeley X, is doing a bunch of Spark-related courses. And I did these about a year ago uh, already. And they were actually very good. That's where I actually started my whole adventure into uh, machine learning and Spark. And they've now taken that one... seven-week course, I think it was, and it split them into seven different courses or something like that, each going over two or three weeks. And they're going into much more depth, it would seem. And they just started with the first uh, of that series uh, last week. So if any of the listeners have uh, are curious about starting with Spark, I can really recommend these uh, courses. If you want to do them, go to edx.org. Not making publicity here, not getting paid for it. <laughs> But uh, they're just good courses. And actually being uh, backed by Databricks, the guys that do a lot of uh, commercial, um, uh, what you call it, uh, development on Spark. So Mm -hmm. they do have the knowledge there. And the fun thing is that they actually each week have a um, a test, an exam, if you like, that's really a hands-on develop this solution, make this work. You kind of get a template and you have to fill in the blanks. But it really takes uh, a couple of hours to get through those. So I really recommend them. Yeah, I mean, from from your experience last time, I, I seem to remember. You know, this 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 is not something to go into lightly either. This is not something that you'll just be able to, you know, surf your way through it. Um, you know, in a in a sort of half an hour a week kind of thing. This is, you know, you need to actually set around a decent chunk of time if you want to get the the most out of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's I, I think that's why they have, have now split the one week, uh, the, the one seven week course into about seven different courses of three weeks each. Because last time I spent uh, every week, the whole weekend, I mean, sixteen hours at least, doing that exercise. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah, wasn't yeah. alone. <laughs> It's not that I was particularly stupid there, but uh, they have a nice, uh, it's on Piazza, a uh, community uh, forum kind of thing where people can ask questions. And uh, you could just see people really struggling for days to finish these uh, these exercises, which is good. I mean, I like every exercise that says, here is the URL to the documentation page. You will need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, something, th- these kind of exercises, especially for this kind of technology, should be something that actually, you know, really challenges you. Otherwise, yeah. you know, really, what's the point? So, yeah. no, it sounds good. And it's pretty hands on, so that's good. And uh, if you're on EDX anyway, uh, edx.org, there's also a bunch of courses coming from Microsoft about machine learning in Azure. So, if you're looking at doing something in the cloud, those courses are pretty good too. I don't know how good they are because I haven't done them myself yet I'm going to take them this summer but uh, from the documentation it sounds like they'll be a good addition those are not really about Spark but more about the machine learning big data in general so good stuff and the final thing I did last week was go on vacation well just staying at home but uh, beats working Well, everybody needs a break now and again, but I'm sure you spent some of that time reading and dreaming about big data anyway. Well, as I said, I'm doing a couple of courses. I've got about 11 lined up, so I've got about 35 hours a week of uh, courses to go through. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and ladies and gentlemen, that's what Yon does on his vacation. You just can't you can take the big data out of Yon, but you can't take Yon out of big data. Well, I did get a, a, a Steam controller as well. I need to play with that thing too, so <laughs> see how see who wins <laughs> excellent good stuff 
And you, what have you done? And don't give away too much yet. Okay, well, uh, as you may have noticed from the subject of this, um, I have been to Summit San Jose, uh, Hadoop Summit San Jose. Um, and so this entire episode is a bit of a, a retrospective, just giving off some some impressions of the event as a whole. Um, also kind of just talking about um, a, a few of the sessions that I attended and, uh, and you know, giving people a feel for what, what the event was like. Um, so that obviously took up a, a fairly significant chunk. That was pretty much uh, a whole week. Um, the second week, uh, I've been kind of uh, bouncing around Europe, um, attending several meetings and workshops and um, kind of final presentations with uh, alongside uh, RFP responses and all that kind of good stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's my last couple of weeks. Well, that doesn't sound like you did anything useful there. No, lots, lots <laughs> and lots of useful things. Always. Um, and uh, with that, I think let's get into the meat of the episode. So after the break, we'll be heading into uh, my my experience at the uh, Hadoop Summit San Jose and Jon quizzing me about it. So enjoy. So as Dave mentioned before the music, he went on a trip. I wasn't invited this time. I still don't know and know why, but for some reason he wanted to, uh, I guess it's a trial separation or something, but he came back, so that's good. Well, he went to San Jose, where he went to the Hadoop Summit as 2016, the original big Hadoop Summit, really. And uh, we haven't actually talked about it at all, so it's totally new for me as well. So uh, Dave, please, please tell me, how was it like? What was the atmosphere like in uh, San Jose? So it was. Uh, so first of all, it's California, so it's hot and sunny every day. <laughs> I mean, there is the weather there is just hot and sunny, um, and uh, but the actual event itself was was really good. I mean, there, it's around uh, four thousand, uh, over four thousand people there. Which, if you think um, Hadoop Summit Dublin was about. I think fourteen hundred, something like yeah, that. Fourteen hundred, sixteen hundred, something like that. Um, so, first of all, Summit San Jose is significantly larger. Um, there were some comments in the first keynote that actually uh, it might be the last one that they they hold at San Jose, or at least hold at that particular location, because they are really at the point now where. Um, they they're starting to outgrow that venue. Uh, I think you know if it continues to. The trend continues. Um, they may well be looking at a, a new location next year. So, you know, kind of sad because it's it's been. Um, I think th- this was the ninth Hadoop Summit, um, and it's obviously the the US one has been at San Jose pretty much since the inception. So, um, it'll be a shame when it has to move on. But you know, if it has to move on because it's grown to a point, then that's that's good news too. Yeah, but still, let's hope they don't go into San Francisco because. It's a lot of traffic jams there. Yeah, but you've got the amazing public transport. Oh, <laughs> no. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, big would be the first impression. But actually, um, it, it didn't feel completely overwhelming. I mean, if uh, um, anyone that's been to, like, uh, you know, some of the, the super – uh, conferences like MWC or something like that, where you just have, you know, hall after hall after hall. This is still 
this is still fairly small. This is still mm-hmm. fairly intimate. Um, you still you can still you know get around all of the uh, exhibitors in the in the community center for uh, in sort of less than you can at least walk around them in in just you know, ten to fifteen minutes max. Um, and you know there are a reasonable number of uh, organizations um, there, including organizations that we've had on this podcast. So the ADPI were represented, um, and many others. Um, so you know the the event was split up pretty much as you'd expect a large community center which had all of the um all of the stands from various sponsors and uh, and exhibitors anybody um, there was new we hadn't seen before um not really there were, there were no no kind of um no kind of surprises there there were a few organizations that I maybe hadn't had much to do with before. I did actually get a chance to to sync up with some of them. Um, I will. So, vaguely interesting story. There was. Uh, I was sent an email at the start of the week um, from a customer about a particular technology. They were interested in this particular technology by a vendor that was exhibiting um, at this uh, at the event. I thought, oh, I don't know anything about this, but I'm here, so I'll go and talk to them. Uh, I won't name the uh, the the vendor for reasons that will mm-hmm. become obvious later. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I went to their stand. I said, "Hey, I've just uh, I had an email about this particular technology. I'm really sort of interested. Is there someone here that can can tell me a bit more about it?" And they were like, oh, blank faces, and no one really knew what it was or what it did or what it was about. Oh, it was part of a uh, an acquisition. Um, so go and talk to the guys on the other stand. So I go, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I I wander across to the other stand, and you know, after another sort of five five or ten minutes of queuing, because you know these these stands are busy. There's lots yeah. of people asking questions um, about the different different sort of parts of uh, vendors' portfolios and that sort of thing. Anyway, eventually. You know, I get through a number of different people, each of which direct me onto the next one. And eventually, I get to the one guy who apparently knows everything because everyone seems to be kind of shuttled towards this guy. Anyway, I get to the front, and he says, "Ah, oh, yeah, you need to go to the other stand. Actually, uh, they have it now. You know, we don't we don't deal with that anymore." I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I just came from that stand about twenty minutes ago." He's like, "Oh, okay." Anyway, it's all good. Put me in touch with the. Uh, the product manager for this particular piece of tech, and they have since been in touch. So it's all good. But it does, uh, you know, it really does hammer home the fact that these ecosystems, even within organizations, their own, you know, product sets, they're really getting to such a size and scale that you just can't know everything anymore. You can't, not even at a, like, surface level, being able to have a five-minute conversation about the technology so uh, yeah, that was that was fairly amusing. Yeah, it's definitely amusing, but it kind of makes me wonder. Having a stand there isn't cheap. I mean, it's the sponsors, right? They're, they're the guys yep. that are paying for the whole uh, uh, what do you call it uh, fair. You'd think they have some people there that actually can help people asking that have questions. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's a very big ecosystem, but there's not just one guy standing there, right? There's usually a group of four or five people there, so. And I've, I've had similar experiences, not only at Hadoop Summit, but on other uh, tech fairs as well, where you have a lot of marketing people there, but nobody actually has the inside knowledge. And for a Hadoop Summit, I think it's sad when it happens, because Hadoop Summits, in my opinion always, are a tech uh, event. They're, they're there for, to have the deep information. The, they should at least be able to give you some kind of answer there. 
Yeah, you would have hoped so, but never mind. These things happen. Uh, you need to tell me who it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, off air. Ah. Um, anyway, so that was that was just one one interesting interlude. But there were there were lots of um, lots of uh, lots of sponsors there. You know, the stands were um, you know varied quite a bit in size. Um, but you know, everyone got a fair a fair shout. Were, everyone was represented in the in the eco- ecosystem. Um, there were people that were just on the analytics side, um, cloud providers, um, Hadoop distribution vendors. You know, every, anyone and everyone uh, was pretty much there. Did did they have the Dev Cafe? Because I kind of missed that one in Dublin. Um, so they didn't necessarily have the Dev Cafe as such. What they had was the Community Corner, and that was actually. Uh, the reason that I was there. So I, uh, the reason I got to go to Summit San Jose, um, you may hear by my voice, I, it's not an American accent. Uh, I am usually based in, well, based <laughs> is a, a loose term, but um, I live in the UK, um, despite the fact that I tend to, to bounce all over the place. Uh, but the um, the reason that I was at San Jose is because uh, Hortonworks has the Hortonworks Community Community Connection. I'll try and say that correctly. Mm-hmm. The Hortonworks Community Connection site, which allows you to uh, sign up for free and ask questions about the uh, the different technologies. Uh, you know, anything from I can't get this Spark job to run through to what's the best way to achieve you know DR and could I use HDFS snapshots for it, for example. And uh, and then you know, community responses. So you know, people not just from Hortonworks, but from people across the ecosystem, get to respond. So I was one of the top contributors to that over the uh, over the quarter. So that's how I won my ticket. So the um, Hortonworks Community Corner was actually a set of four different stands. So there was a, a cloud stand that was. Uh, uh, largely maintained by um, various people from uh, from Microsoft, talking about Azure technologies like HD Insight and Cortana. Um, there was another sesh, uh, another stand within the community environment that was actually uh, specifically about HCC. So, publicizing HCC, getting more people to uh, um, you know aware of what HCC is and, and trying to get them signed up to it. Um, there was another one which was just showing a, a different set of demos around uh, the HDP platform, um, and there was a, a, a fourth one which was around um, streaming and IoT type demos as well. Uh, a lot of NiFi there, uh, but uh, other tech as well. Yeah, just professional curiosity here. Did you look at the Cortana stuff? What do you think of it? I didn't get a chance to, unfortunately. Ah. So I, I look forward to a, a future session where we talk Cortana. Oh, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that my initial sort of observations generally, um, you know, very, really well run, very well put together. Um, the, I didn't come across a single. I'm I'm sure there were. Um, scheduling conflicts where things got swapped around, but I didn't come across a single one, uh, whereas I hit quite a few of them in Dublin. Um, maybe just lucky or maybe just unlucky. Um, so that's just kind of general observations. Um, any any other thoughts on that or before we go into some of the sessions? No, I think I've got a good uh, image of the, the whole generic setting, so uh, let's go to the keynotes. Okay, so um, due to one thing and another, um, 
some of the keynotes I had to step out of due to calls and various things. Um, so the the one keynote that I did um, get to cover in detail was the first one, the first day. Um, and, you know, really, you know, start off with uh, Herb and Rob uh, just talking about the uh, the evolution, how great it is to be there and all this kind of stuff. Hadoop being 10 years old, uh, which was fairly important. And, of course, there was quite a, you know, a bit of a celebration to the community and the committers. So everyone that was a, uh, a committer to uh, Hadoop was invited up on stage and there was a 10-year a, a ten birthday cake and all that kind of good stuff. So that was it was fairly entertaining. Um, nothing too different, um, really, to, uh, you know, the overall message that we heard in Dublin. You know, a few tweaks here and there, some sort of things evolving. Um, there was a session from Microsoft um, where they were talking about um, some of the uh, some of the things they were doing using machine learning. Um, there's actually quite an interesting project on uh, on actually predicting uh, and uh, providing risk estimates of uh, school dropouts in India, and actually being able to accurately predict the risk of, of a student potentially dropping out uh, of school, and therefore you know what they can do. Um, you know, ahead of that, to actually put put in place some sort of action plan to try and uh, retain that child into the school system because it, it's a it's a significant problem there. Um, uh, what else was there? So um, there was a session from um, Arun Murthy, who uh, was covering some of the you know really what he what he was talking about was the 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 upcoming teenage years of uh, of Hadoop. You know, it's got to ten now. Um, I thought it was a little bit odd talking about teenage years because actually you've got 11 and 12 before you get to the first teenage year, which is 13. But hey, you know, it obviously made for a um, uh, an interesting and amusing uh, anecdote. So um, Arun was talking about a couple of things that are happening um, uh, across the ecosystem. So there's ideas now of, you know, we've had the the whole concept of, um, you know, making it easy to deploy big data, whether you're looking at uh, a software as a service platform like uh, HD Insight or whether you're looking at, you know, a, an easy deployable infrastructure as a service platform using Ambari. Um, you know, the next kind of level is very much uh, something called like assemblies. And the idea behind assemblies is um, you, de- you can deploy an assembly to an existing cluster uh, and you know, it has multiple components. They're all configured by the assembly, the REST-based APIs, and the actual application itself can live in a Docker container on Yarn. So you know, just by downloading and installing this, this assembly, um, you have a complete uh, environment up and running. So one example of that that was given was a you know a credit card uh, fraud application, uh, which allowed you to um, you know ran, it ran machine learning on real time streaming. Um, card transactions that were backed off against uh, a, you know, a risk table and that sort of thing. It all, you know, really quite quite interesting. That seems to be the the new direction that uh, that things are going. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you agree with me or not, uh, but it feels to me, it sounds to me, and uh, not just what you're talking about here, but uh, the last couple of weeks, months, that the Hadoop. Not just the Hadoop project itself, but the Hadoop ecosystem project, if you want, to, for lack of a better name, has gotten so heavy that it's being that's getting it's getting fragmented at the moment. You got 
things going, specific um, topics, concentrating certain projects in that specific topic, which has nothing to do with the rest anymore. I mean, the biggest example I know of is, uh, of course, Hortonworks, HDP and HDF, which is a real-time one way and uh, historical insights the other way. So I, I see more and more these kind of breaking apart of that cohesive whole. Is that something you see too? Or? Um possibly i i think some of it is inevitable uh, as as organizations um you know move out from just being single product organizations and and look to ways that they can monetize it if you're going to add more and more animals to your zoo you have two choices you can either have a a separate um you know uh, reptile house that you charge for entrance there uh, and you have the rest of the, your, your animals in the general part of the zoo. And uh, for, for those that want to go to the reptile house, they can pay to go to the reptile house. Or you have it all open and anyone can go to any of the areas of the zoo. But, you know, your overall admission price has to go up. So I, I think it's just a natural, uh, it's a natural part of the evolution of, of organizations that, up until this point, they've been very used to just consuming technologies like this by saying, "Okay, well, I, you know, I buy my my license, my subscription, my whatever it might be, and I have access to everything that you do as a company." And you know, really, that 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 can only scale so far. And so, I, I personally think it's it's a natural uh, evolution of, of the kind of business models we've seen this before um you know going back uh, 10 plus years looking at uh, looking at red hat and how they started they started off with just a a linux platform then they started adding uh, you know jboss middleware technologies and then the jboss middleware technologies split out into multiple different areas the linux platform stuff split out into multiple areas as well with virtualization and cloud technologies and all these other kinds of things so you know, I, I think it's it's just the way that things evolve. Although it, it's it's very easy to understand why you would want to harken back to the good old days, where actually, you know, just uh, get us a, a single support contract with one organisation and everything's covered, makes things nice and easy. But I don't know that it's particularly practical. Interesting that you went completely on the financial uh, tag. Uh, my question was more uh, in the technical field where uh, at a certain point there's so many options, so many components in the ecosystem that it gets uh, the reptile house also compartmentalizes a bit. If I'm interested in reptiles, I just go to the reptile house and I can get all the information I need there. I don't need to go to all of the mammals and whatever. Uh, that was more what I was thinking about for the fragmentation on a technology level. I think so. I think that is that's also just the nature of open source, in my opinion. Uh, I think there will always be fragmentation in open source because it makes it very easy to do so. Mm-hmm. Now, the 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 upside of that is that it also makes it very easy for uh, new technologies to rapidly establish dominance. I mean, you know, if you look at um, if you look at machine learning. And I'm now struggling to remember the thing that people used to use that uh, has now largely died out. Um, yes, there we go. Well done. Um, <laughs> you read my mind. So, I mean, you know, if you go back, uh, I mean, you know, three years ago, um, Mahout was still, I would say, very popular. Um, if you look at where things are today, Mahout is, you know, depending on who you talk to, it's largely dead. 
uh, or at least they kind of reinvented themselves as uh, it's called Samsara now, which is actually Mahout on top of Spark. Exactly. They've and they've had to reinvent themselves because they were basically marginalized out of out of being relevant anymore. Yeah. Um, so you know, a certain amount of um, of healthy competition is is well is healthy, um, but I, I, open source I think breeds this kind of. Uh, I want to do something slightly different to project A and project B, so I'll go and create project C um, rather than just trying to integrate into existing stuff. I think the the whole sort of not invented here syndrome, NIH syndrome, it, it does it does heavily exist in open source ecosystems. And, you know, sometimes that can be bad. Sometimes you think, oh, you know, if these two projects could only just, you know, get it together, they'd have a killer sort of, uh, uh, you know, a killer focus. But, you know, for the for the majority of cases, a lot of these, a uh, lot of people starting up these things, you know, they have a specific goal in mind. They want to build something that meets that goal. And if other people want to come along for the ride, then that's great as well. Yeah. Now, coming back to what you talked about, the assembly idea, uh, is that something that solves a financial uh, issue or the technology issue? It's more focused on technologies. Okay. So it's about um, making entire applications that contain you know maybe some some spark machine learning um you know have an underlying requirement for some hive um have an actual application itself that would run in a docking container mm. and have all of that stuff kind of literally you can go into an app store download it upload it onto your cluster and have it all magically uh, configure and deploy on an existing cluster which is the kind of thing that's um you know, very much missing at the moment. If you have a, an existing environment and you want to go ahead and deploy, you know, whatever it might be, um, it, it, there's a lot of well, go and go and configure this to to this set of specs. Make sure you've got these components installed and configured this way. You know, probably preload this data into this environment under these settings. Um, it, it can be you know quite uh, quite tedious to actually get a lot mm-hmm. of those things right. <laughs> True. So actually, it's kind of a moving away from the framework idea and more into a commodity solution world. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that's that's another kind of natural progression yeah. is to commoditize the lower layers and to actually the value, which, which has always kind of been the case, right? The value has always been not from the underlying big data platform. The value has always been what organizations can do with that big yeah. data platform, what they do with their analytics, what they do with their machine learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on. Any anything else from the keynotes? Um, so, what else was there? Actually, the, so very very briefly, there was a, a, a chunk on one of the keynotes uh, from Capital One uh, that was all around cybersecurity and Metron and what they're doing using that. Um, I, I really enjoyed it because it was uh, it's Metron, and I think Metron's quite cool. Um, but it was it was interesting the way they positioned it, which is actually something that I agree with. Is that Metron for them is it's a reference architecture for doing big data cybersecurity. It's not at least not yet. It's not really a product per se, but it's a framework. It's a it's it's something that allows you to get that whole thing started. So that was quite interesting. And the the sort of they took a little bit of a kind of behind the scenes um, sort of look at what they were able to do. And the interesting anecdote was actually that 
from the very first day that that environment went live, they first that they found their first on-prem exploit um, that they'd previously had no understanding or, aware, or awareness of it actually running. So, you know, even with the the very basic rudimentary models, you know, data scientists, you know, looking at data and and kind of looking for patterns in that data, you know, having that framework in place, even with no kind of real, you know, sexy UI or anything like that on top of it, we're already able to actually deliver value to their organization, which was, you know, cutting down on on exploits and cybersecurity issues. Yeah, it's it's a big it's a big problem because I'm not sure who told me that, but somebody told me that uh on average when a company gets breached, how long do you think it takes before they figure out okay they got breached? How long do you think the hackers can run around on the network? So, uh, unfortunately, I know the answer. Ah. It's eight months, believe it or not. Well, I heard over a year, actually. Yeah. So the, the average, the average, according to some uh, CISO, uh, Chief Information Security Officer, um, survey that was done last year, was eight months between an exploit happening and uh, an organization detecting it. Yeah. On average, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, uh, quite frankly, it's scary. Uh, to me, that's a. That if I was a CISO, um, that's the kind of number that would keep me awake at night, kind of wondering about what's going on in my organization that I don't know. Which I think is is why um, cybersecurity at true big data scale is is one of the most interesting things that I think you can you can do. Yeah. Um, but I, I have a particular bent towards cybersecurity, so that's, that's probably why I think that. Um, anyway, moving on from that, um, there was also a piece uh, during one of the keynotes by Progressive, who are uh, a U.S. Uh, car insurance, um, and they they have the uh, their sort of um, devices that they plug into the uh, OBD2 ports on most modern vehicles that allow them to receive you know, latitude, longitude, uh, accelerometer, and altitude information, which kind of made me chuckle slightly because I was thinking, well, yeah, cars, you know, if your car is actually gaining altitude, you know, you're de- you know, evil Knievel-style soaring across canyons or something. They're called um, mountains, Dave, <laughs> mountains. I know, I know. But, but I mean, wouldn't that be, uh, that would be a significant risk factor. I think if your car suddenly, you know, shoots up 20 meters above the road surface, that's probably a risk factor. Uh, anyway. Maybe they're um, looking at the reverse if it drops down 20 meters. <laughs> <laughs> what, you've just fallen into a crevasse. <laughs> exactly. Please dispatch emergency services. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, that person didn't realize that lake was there. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, the, so just a couple of really interesting stats. They've got um, something like 30 to 40 variables um, that, they, that they have um, to predict um, the, the right premium for an individual customer. And these premiums are like, where do you live? Is your car garaged or ungaraged? You know, what is your uh, what is your employment? All those sorts of things. And they 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 showed them on a on a bar graph of relevance um, to the actual uh, prediction of what the the rate would be. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was very clear that there was first of all there were you know maybe two or three that were the most relevant, and then there was kind of a a rapid decline into a long tail of of the the sort of um, relevance of the other parameters. Mm-hmm. Then they put the um, the input that they get from the this device, and that was more than twice as indicative of premium 
than any of the other statistics, kind of as you might expect. It's a very, very rich source of information. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've, they've now accumulated, and this is quite frankly mind-boggling, over 15 billion miles of driving data. So that's a, uh, that's a, lot, of, that's a lot of miles. Mm-hmm. And they've given over half a billion in uh, US dollars of discounts to their customers based on that. So interesting stuff. Um, so that was um, a selection of things from various uh, various keynotes. The keynotes as a whole, you know, I can't help but compare it back to um, Hadoop Summit Dublin. Um, and, you know, we, we when we were talking about that, you know, some of the keynotes were a little bit uh, a little bit more hit and miss. And I think the same was true here. You know, day one was was fairly good. Day two, maybe not so good. Day three, uh, day three was very good. Um, and there was a there was also for those that remember our Hadoop Summit uh, Dublin podcast. Um, there was a, a session on ethics, and it was by a completely different presenter. Um, uh, actually, I don't know if the uh, the keynotes will go live um, uh, and be viewable on on YouTube as the sessions were. The USBR. Uh, yeah, and if so, I would I would thoroughly recommend um, going and and uh, digging out this guy's uh, this guy's session. We'll put we'll put some information about his. Uh, uh, his session in the uh, show notes, but it was it was very good, very different style to the um, the the lady that was talking about uh, ethics um, of data um, on the uh, the Hadoop Summit Dublin keynote. But you know, so different view on things, but you know, very very first of all, very amusing, but very interesting, and it it did actually make you think about some of the things that uh, that are being done, or some of the things that this technology uh, makes possible. So, yeah, all in all, uh, a good set of keynotes. Um, some of the messages repeated because, of course, we'd heard some of it uh, at Hadoop Summit Dublin, mm. uh, but also some new and interesting stuff too. Yeah, because traditionally the big juicy stuff is kept for San Jose because it is the biggest of the Hadoop summits. So it's always a bit annoying for the Europeans. You just get the event that comes just before the one where they want to release the big stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of the a lot of the really big stuff was hinted towards as well. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, I think it, it didn't seem like such a such a big problem. No, listen to what you're not saying. The only thing that's new, I guess, is assemblies. Now I was aware of their existence before, yeah. but it's the first time they actually talked about it. Uh, I'm also kind of not detecting a general theme throughout. Um, so the, the theme, the theme really was around uh, a lot of conversations around the hybrid cloud. So there was a big push towards cloud generally. How do you, uh, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there. Uh, hybrid cloud. What do you mean by that? So I don't mean hybrid cloud in the uh, a single Hadoop cluster distributed across um, cloud and on-prem. I mean um, the ability to, you know, maybe primarily have an on-prem cluster, maybe spin up subsets of data on on clouds, maybe have it the other way around. Maybe you're doing some kind of collection, aggregation, manipulation of data on cloud and feeding onto an on-prem. But you know, having more than one uh, more than one data lake potentially, or at least if you have a primary data lake, that might not be the only place that your data lives. Depending on your um, your usage or your users, 
So you're talking about a data lake and mini data lakes that have a data mart function? Could be, could be. There were there were multiple different sort of ways that it was spun from having you know, separate environments for uh, separate subsets of data. Uh, the common example that, that's given for this is, is cybersecurity. That does often um, is, is spun up in a, a separate environment, uh, but not always. Um, but yeah, it could also be sort of data marts. It could also be uh, subsets of maybe anonymized data that you expose to third parties mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So that covers the keynote and the overall look, feel, and smell of Hadoop Summit San Jose. The smell, pretty good. The weather, hot and sunny. It's California after all. Uh, We're actually going to split the sessions and the conversation around the sessions out to a second podcast. So stay tuned to us for that coming up next episode. Meanwhile, after the music, are questions from the audience, where you, our faithful listeners, get to ask us awkward and interesting questions, and we get to answer. Stay tuned. last section of the podcast we answer questions received from you our listeners if you have a question you would like us to answer on the podcast please drop us an email to podcast at roaringelephant.org use our hadoop cast twitter handle or go to our website www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information about the podcast including a contact form so first question is yours Jan. Go for it. Yeah, first question for me, and I'm going to take the easy way out. We actually got a, a very large email from Chris, who was kind enough to answer our uh, request for feedback. He sent us a big email with a lot of feedback, and we're not going to answer it here, because we're going to try and do something special with it. Stay tuned for that. But uh, Chris, thanks for the email. We're definitely not going to forget it. Yes, very much thanks to Chris. Um, it's been a while since I've seen Chris, so it'll be good to get back in touch. Next one for you. So the next question uh, that I have is, um, really, was it worth the trip, Summit San Jose, or should I just go to my local, in inverted commas, this being radio or radio-ish, should I just go to my local Hadoop Summit? Um, So local in the relative sense. There are Hadoop Summits in the west coast of the US, in Europe, in Dublin. There's going to be one in Australia, another one in Japan. Um, I mean, it was it was cool. It was interesting. There is obviously, you know, compare an event over two days, which is the Dublin one, uh, with you know fourteen hundred participants, to uh, the San Jose summit, which is over three days um, and has you know four thousand plus people. There's obviously a you know a larger scale, but actually, I would say unless you really love to travel and if you do, then I can relate to that because so do I. Um, then I would say go to as many of them as you can. But there were a lot of sessions that I noticed um, that had been in the European one that I therefore didn't go to, and I specifically sought out other alternative sessions to go to. Um, so I would say, you know, unless you really want to um, go to the the absolute largest uh, Hadoop summit that there is. And by the way, if you do that, you will struggle. You know, there are more tracks, it's over more days, 
you will struggle to juggle the different sessions that you want. There will be conflicting sessions anyway. So uh, I would say look at your travel budget, look at the time budget. Obviously, going to a local summit um, should take less out of your working week. Um, but, you know, by all means, if you want to go to the biggest and best, then the uh, Hadoop Summit on the west coast of the US was pretty damn good. Yeah, from my point of view, I absolutely hate traveling. <laughs> but I did get the chance to go to the U.S. Uh, summit uh, about four years ago, I think it was. And I'm very happy I did. And you're totally correct about having more uh, uh, more occasions to follow certain sessions, which you couldn't follow in local version, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it was basically the whole atmosphere, the whole energy of the place. Because, I mean, you can say what you want. The, the Americans do know how to throw a party. This is true. <laughs> and the whole, I mean, the, the the Dublin event was 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 great. It was a good event, but it was very technical, very professional, very dry, very no, not dry, but very yeah, professional. The US, the thing I still remember is the the whole start of the first keynote, the whole fanfare, the whole the whole production around it, really having a feel of being in something that exists, that's real, that evolves, that's huge, that's big, that's interesting, that's sexy. That really gave me a feel there. And I didn't get that feel from any of the uh, Hadoop summits I did in Amsterdam or in Dublin or uh, the other ones I did around the world. So from that point of view, I would suggest, I would recommend people to go to the US at least once just to get that, that, that atmosphere in there. But personally, I'm not going to go back. I, I'm going to probably keep on doing the local ones here in Europe. But again, the traveling is just too big of an issue for me. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So next question is yours, I think. Yes, uh, we have another question from uh, Nishant. I hope I spelled that correctly. No problem. I mean, uh, said that correctly. I'm going to read his email. Uh, he has gone through all of our podcasts and they're really helpful for him. And uh, he's a programmer turned manager and it's all kind of new to him. And he listens to our podcasts. That's, thank you very much. That's good. Now, he's asking, can you do a podcast talking about the whole ecosystem and tools used? Where do things like Spark, Storm, Hadoop, HDFS, Yarn, etc. fit in and what specific purpose do they solve? They will, that will really be helpful for people who are trying to piece together the whole landscape. Some of the stuff is really nuanced, as far as I understand, and depending on the use case, you have tools, you, the tools you use will change. So it'll be good to know and understand. Now, it's actually a very good question, and um, I think we can do a, an episode on the whole ecosystem. The whole, the big problem with that, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me, is it's going to be too much for one episode. If you go to the whole ecosystem, you kind of have to stay high level and just cover them very lightly. So, but it's something we definitely could do. Yeah, I mean, I, I would throw throw the question out to the to the audience that are listening to us. I mean, would you like to hear a all the animals in a zoo in a single podcast? Um, you know, we could maybe sort of uh, group them into different categories of uh, of tools or technologies and just try and kind of restrict ourselves to a maximum of 30 seconds on each one <laughs> and just kind of rapid fire through. Would that be interesting or useful? Or would you like a, a longer session where we, we maybe cover each different area of the zoo in each episode? Um, let us know. Give us some feedback. Um, give us a shout as to what you would prefer to hear. Okay, let's hope you got a lot of feedback for that. So, unless you have anything else, 
That's all from me. Well, then that's it for today. We do hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back as usual in two weeks' time with a new episode where we will continue the coverage of the San Jose Hadoop Summit. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information. Send us your questions and please give us a five-star review on iTunes, even though Dave doesn't like iTunes. It does really help other users discover our podcast and broaden our audience. If you don't think we deserve the full five stars, that's fine too, but at least let us know through the contact form on our website why and how we can improve. You can always send us an email on podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticism and other feedback, of course. Until then, my name is Jan. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Speak soon. Thank you.